Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey, Rebecca, do you have a quarter? Uh, yeah, somewhere, maybe. <laughs> you know what? Did you know that for a dollar a month, which I'm not great at math, but that's a quarter an episode, People can submit us on Patreon if you like what we do here at Woven. So for the cost of your Aldi cart, which you get back, so that's a bad example, but for the cost (laughs) of renting an Aldi cart, you can support us in the work we do here on Woven. So if we have enriched your life, particularly during this COVID pandemic, we've tried really hard to create um, podcasts that are relatable and helpful and help us all grow and learn and, you know, become the best versions of ourselves. If you feel like that has helped you, we would love to ask you to consider donating to Patreon. Yeah. And you can find it more information about Patreon at www.patreon. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash woven in him. And you can find out how to support the podcast in all sorts of ways um, through that website. And we know why buy the cow when you get milk for free. Well, there's some special milk y'all don't even know about. It's our bonus episodes. So we get to be a little, a little spicy. I get to use my potty mouth, which has been, which I've been working on my entire life. And I'm very glad to have a platform to use it. Um, and <laughs> it's just a place where we can talk um, a little bit more off the cuff um, yes. on our monthly episodes. So if that sounds good to you, and if you have an extra dollar a month, think about supporting us. We'd appreciate it. And the links for that are in the show notes. And now on to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the last of our series of we're calling Just Keep Swimming, which is a wonderful Finding Dory reference. And this series is really about how do we keep persevering during times that are difficult. We've talked with Glenna Marshall about everyday persistence, um, perseverance. We talked with um, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith about the importance of learning to rest, to not quit. And today we are talking to somebody who I think has done a really good job of doing both of these things. Um, you may re- remember Jen Young from our, se- or what was that episode titled, Rebecca? It was called, was it called Singleness in the Church? We'll put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. Jen's, was that it? Singleness in the Church? Um, so we've had Jen on before and we wanted to have you on again because, well, actually, Jen, welcome. I'm just going to let you introduce yourself and tell us about impact and all of your, tell us about all the things. Okay. So I'm Jen Young. I'm the um, executive director of a nonprofit in Lawrenceville, Georgia called um, Impact 46. Um, and basically, it's, it's, a, it's a different nonprofit, and it's different on purpose. Um, what we really try to do with our nonprofit is gather um, all existing nonprofits in different sectors in the city, so businesses, schools, um, neighborhoods, local government. Um, different things like that, and bring them together to work for the good of the city and good of the people. So um, my role within the city and within what we do as a nonprofit is to really help people collaborate instead of compete. And so we um, we really try to form partnerships um, that benefit people by doing common good initiatives. And so a lot of us um, are after the same thing. Um, We want the same thing for our city and for people, but we're going about it um, as individuals. And so we end up competing instead of collaborating. Mm -hmm. So we try to bring all the people to the table. So I often serve as a a professional feather ruffler and a collaborator (laughs) and coordinator. And um, I wear many hats, but it's, it's a fun position to kind of sit and and hear out all the different entities and different perspectives on approaches and strategies, and then to come together and and bring those into one collective unified effort. So that's what that's awesome with with Impact 46. Well, and what like, what was it that kind of made that start? Like, where did this come from? So Impact 46 for seven to eight years was just a prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. It really started out of Lawrenceville First United Methodist Church, where people just began to see um, problems and needs within the city, but didn't know what to do. And so they kind of took the posture of, of Jehoshaphat and was like, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so we're just going to mm-hmm. pray and ask for you to guide us. Um, and that was a seven to eight year guidance <laughs> of praying and bringing people together. And so when I came on, 
in January of 2018, I was able to really leverage those relationships that were built over the seven years into much more of a coordinated effort. And so, um, I mean, I sit on, you know, the, the banks of the, of my predecessors who were before me building relationships and loving people and having hard discussions and conversations, um, but didn't really know what to do and mm-hmm. how to turn the tables and how to really do that in a coordinated effort that brought people together. And so when I came on board, that's basically what I've tried to do is, is now take those relationships and, um, start to bring some strategy so we can see some significant transformation within the city. Yeah. And what was it that like kind of got you into doing this sort of like nonprofit justice work? Like what brought you there? Um, that was not the plan. <laughs> to be quite honest, it was, um, there was a, a girl that drastically changed my, my life in Augusta. So I, I went to um, college in Augusta at Augusta State University, and it's not called that now. It's had like seven different name changes. Um, <laughs> but uh, the alumni, so they'll always call you and like, do you want to change your diploma? Um, <laughs> oh. Because <laughs> we your name and you're like, no, thanks. Um, anyway, they, uh, um, I met this girl. Um, I was on staff with Campus Outreach at the time and loved doing college ministry, loved um, 20 year olds and that kind of, um, time frame in your life, because it's one of, um, extreme passion, but it's also one of uh, extreme distress because mm-hmm. you don't really know who you are. You're discovering that in the midst of everyone telling you that you should have already discovered it. Mm-hmm. And so it can be a very confusing time in your life. And it was for me too. And I met this girl on campus one day and her name was Monet and is Monet. And, um, she just uh, lived her life in a very different way that was so refreshing to me. And we had very different backgrounds and um, she's African-American and lived in um, the different parts of the city. And she lived more in the downtown area of Augusta. And she just shared her story with me and it made me rethink about ministry in terms of life not so much in terms of evangelism and all the theological mm-hmm. robust words that were taught in ministry and in training. And I just realized I was not equipped to love someone that was so different from me um, because what I'd been trained was so linear. And mm-hmm. I never really stopped to just go, ministry is about life. And it's, it's about leading people to Christ, but it's loving them in the midst of where they are. And for so long, I had just never done that. And so I had to retrain and rethink about ministry in terms of really bringing people to the forefront and not programs. Um, Mm -hmm. And people were not robots. I couldn't just sit down and and do a discipleship study with them. And then all of a sudden they're going to follow Christ and their life is drastically different. Um, This particular person, her life... um, the gospel would, would transform her heart, but it would take years for it to transition and transform her situation and her circumstances. Mm. And that was a side of ministry that I had never been taught, never learned. And so I was learning it through a relationship with her. And from there, I just got, our church had started to kind of make a drastic change towards really loving our Jerusalem which mm-hmm. was in the inner city of Augusta. And so our pastor did a phenomenal job of really commissioning us. Um, and I'll never forget him kind of rebuking the congregation and saying, you know, you, this is where our church is, yet it's the worst part of our city. And we all come in on a Sunday and we drive in and we worship and we gather and we praise the Lord and then we drive away. If the devastation is still surrounding our church and that just, isn't okay. Um, mm-hmm. So um, our church kind of uh, took note of that, acknowledged our own sin and our own um, just ignorance of the situation and began to try to learn a lot about our own city. And so I moved into um, a house and um, started doing some stuff with some college students that were transitioning. And I, I mean, living in that situation drastically changed everything for me. I kind of went from 
middle-class mindset, suburbia, to living on a street that we called the hot corner because it was literally where the prostitutes would turn tricks and, and, mm-hmm. and do stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I, it, it really, I just, it was that girl that changed my life. And I just realized I didn't, I didn't want to be a person that didn't love people and could only stand on the legacy of, you know, I, I, you know, I led 700 people to Christ yet I knew none of them. (laughs) And that's kind of where I was before I met this girl was I was doing all these evangelistic things and that's air quotes. Um, yet I wasn't loving a single person. Um, so for me, I just really saw God do, he just confronted me with a lot of my own sin that I would have never called sin. Um, because it was, it was defined and it was in terms of ministry. So it felt righteous. It felt right. Um, Yet, I think if you would go back and ask some of the girls that I was leading in Bible studies, if I loved them and knew them, they'd all probably say no. Mm. Um, That was kind of heartbreaking for me just to, I think, really confront my own attitude and my own understanding of of the gospel and the implications of what that should look like in your life. And I would have said before meeting um, Monet and and many other people is that... um, if you are a believer, your life should be fine. You shouldn't have any, Mm -hmm. um, you shouldn't have any problems. Um, that was kind of the Christian world that I lived in. And so when I started living in a different place, I saw believers who had so many issues and so many problems, um, yet still loved the Lord far greater than I ever did. Um, and, it just didn't make sense to me. So it took a long time for me to really begin to understand um, what we what we call poverty um, in terms of, of monetary and financial situations. Those people were some of the richest people I've ever met in my life, yet were some of the poorest people <laughs> I've always yeah. met. Um, and so... I I think that's what called me to that was just an understanding of how the gospel covers all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what does that look like? And, you know, as we get into this conversation, I think it has implications of, um, of, of rest and and weariness um, emotionally because it's completely uncomfortable. Oh my goodness. I've been so uncomfortable meeting people that are so different from me. Um, yet I'm enriched by it, but I'm still uncomfortable even to this day. Like there are people that I've been friends with for 10, 15 years and it's still uncomfortable, um, because it's so different. Um, so anyway, that's a, that's a long explanation how I got into no, it. That was really- gold. Yeah. So before we move, uh, before we move in, I just have one question for people who don't live in the Atlanta area. So I think a lot of people who don't live in Atlanta know Atlanta and know that there's probably inner city parts of Atlanta and all of that kind of stuff, but they don't have a clue where Lawrenceville is and they don't have a clue why you would need these kind of programs in Lawrenceville. And even people in Atlanta might not feel that way. So why Lawrenceville and why these programs in Lawrenceville kind of, can you kind of give us like a makeup of the community? So Lawrenceville is, um, it's considered, it's considered part of a, you know, Metro Atlanta. Um, it's about 25 minutes from the heart of Atlanta. Um, but if you, if you live anywhere near Atlanta, you, you feel like you're in Atlanta all the time. You can't really tell when you're moving into a new city, but, um, I'm in Gwinnett County and I grew up in Lawrenceville. Um, that's where I lived. And so, um, about six years ago, I I felt, um, the need to come back. I never thought I would, um, but Lawrenceville is interesting. Um, and I would say Gwinnett County is very interesting because it's quickly moving from suburbia into an urban type of feel. Um, and it starts with, I think a lot of the development that you're trying to, that you're starting to see, um, has a very city urban feel to it. Um, but over the course of 30 years, just to give you a little bit of history and better understanding of kind of what we're doing here is it went from rural Meaning, you know, it's just, it's dirt roads. I remember when I first moved to Lawrenceville, our neighborhood was off of a dirt road. Um, And so it was, people wanted to live in that suburban feel. They wanted to live in the the three bedroom, two bath, big fenced in backyard, 
um, pool kind of, you know, situation. And then they would drive into Atlanta. Well, that's how, that's how I grew up is, um, grew up in a great neighborhood, neighborhood friends. We lived on a cul-de-sac. Um, and it was 90% white, I would say. Um, and in fact, Gwinnett County, um, was about 93% white in the nineties. And so, yeah, it was, that's where I'm from. I, I know. <laughs> we all grew up like that. And, yeah. um, and so you fast forward, um, less than 30 years and it's almost a minority majority County, which, mm-hmm. um, I think is fantastic. It's, it's, it's emulating what the world's going to look like in 15, 20 years. Um, and so, uh, it's gone from rural and then it went into suburbia. Um, so you kind of had people that grew up farmland and then the housing, um, building starts coming in in the nineties, people want to live there. Um, and now it's becoming urban. And so Lawrenceville is the County seat of Gwinnett County. And so a lot of the services are within, um, that part of the County. And so people are are moving there. And so, um, what we want to do is, is really make sure that services, um, that are provided for people actually serve and, and help them towards self-sufficiency and not enable um, systematic and generational poverty. And so um, that's kind of what we have been doing over the past um, couple of years is really focusing on the systems um, and trying to in, improve those as we think about people and um, what leads towards a thriving life. Um, how do people mm-hmm. thrive? Um, and so we have been doing some common good initiatives, but, but Lawrenceville is interesting because a lot of the books that you, you read and talk about, which in community development, which is kind of the, the category that we're in, um, it's all in the context of urban and inner cities mm-hmm. and transforming those and, and trying to really, um, move people out of those situations into much more of a a healthy situation. And so for us, it's been, it's been interesting. Um, I'm a big fan of Bob Lupton who does a lot of work with FCS in Atlanta. Um, and, um, he consulted with us in Augusta. So I'm very familiar with his work and, um, our client has done, has been on staff with FCS. Um, and so what we've, been learning from him and what he even told when he consulted in Lawrenceville before I even came on staff, um, was that we needed to take very good notes about the work that we're doing in Lawrenceville. Um, because, uh, this is kind of a new situation with community development in terms of how, what does it look like to transform suburbia? So, um, you know, if you've got generational poverty, but it now looks different because it's in a three or four bedroom house. So okay. you have people that are living in these nice houses um, and you have no idea that they literally are living paycheck to paycheck or they've got some other um, type of funding. Um, so it's not necessarily that they're homeless living on the side of the road, which is what typically people would think about when they think about, um, a severe situation. Um, Mm -hmm. it's the suburbanization of poverty now. And so we're learning a lot about that, what that looks like, um, how that's affecting our school systems. And, you know, for us, if you really want to know what a city is going to look like, um, in the future, you want to look at that third grade level. Um, Education is very important. Gwinnett County is a rock star when it comes to um, public school education. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's, you know, how do we think about Lawrenceville in the future? Well, we got to think about our schools. Um, So if if our children aren't healthy, that means that our city's not healthy and it won't be healthy. So it's, it's much more than just housing and jobs. It's, it's all connected. All of those root systems come back to the center um, and so that's why we really feel that bringing all the experts to the table is so important. Um, I would exhaust myself trying to be an expert in all those different things and go an inch deep. And so yeah. if we bring all of the people to the table and we all work together to try to solve some of these issues um, in a collaborative and even innovative way, then we feel like we can go a lot deeper and a lot farther. Yeah. Smyrna, I, I live in Smyrna for those that don't um, know Atlanta. It's, 
it's very similar. Um, I think um, Cobb County and Gwinnett have a lot of similarities, and um, and Smyrna is um, the first. Um, suburb out of Atlanta. I mean, I'm a quarter of a mile away from the Atlanta city line, but we're considered suburbia, but we have the same, we, we, we are becoming a majority minority, um, um, area as well here in Smyrna. And I love it. I am so glad my kids are growing up in this environment. Um, and we're doing a lot of focus on education as well. So I feel like we kind of have like similar kind of like, um, settings that we're living in. Um, but I to speak to your like collaborative exhaustive point and also focusing. And I think one of my things, one of my questions or thoughts is um, I think we feel like we have to do everything. So when we think about social injustices or we think about being an activist or um, whether it's our job or we just as a person, as a citizen uh, and as a lover of Jesus becoming more, active and social injustice, we feel like we need to do all the things. So what would you say to someone who's like, I know I need to do something, but I, I, I don't know what's the most important thing and how do they focus, I guess, is the question. Because if you don't focus, you're going to get exhausted, obviously. Well, and it kind of goes back to like, tell us, like in telling us that, tell us about what it looks like for you. Like you meet Monet, you have a heart change, but like, what was that path like? Because you spoke about encountering some really difficult things in yourself, encountering your own sin. You had to be willing to look at that. You had to be willing to acknowledge it. I mean, that's all really hard work that a lot of Mm -hmm. us don't want to do. So yeah, talk to us about what that looked like and then how you would advise other people. I think I would say the number one thing is you want to have a a deep bench of people that know you. Um, So if you become a fanatic, (laughs) they they can jump in and be like, Hey Jen, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe have a Snickers and a, and a Coke, and, and let's, let's pause and, and think about something. Um, <laughs> but I think it, it's having people that know you, and then it's in the midst of that knowing yourself. So I, I feel like um, I have a, a very strong personality, and that I go a hundred percent or I go nothing, and so that can yeah. be extremely good in some certain situations and circumstances, um, mm-hmm. that can be really, really bad. Um, if I'm a fanatic about things that harm people or harm the world, then I'm going to do a lot of damage, but I'm going to be really good at it because mm-hmm. I give a hundred percent and I'm passionate and I care about it. So yeah. I can be really, really influential, um, and not be a really good person at the same time. If, if you yeah. guys know what I mean. And so, yeah, that's why I think you need those people that will correct you. Um, because I, I look back on my, even in my twenties, there were so many things that I did that I thought were right that were not. Um, and I didn't have people correcting me. So, um, I need friends. I don't need people that are going to be nice to me. So, um, yeah, this is how I define a friend. Like when you ask them, does this, does this outfit make me look bad? Um, you need a friend that's going to go, yeah, go change. Um, and a nice person goes, no, girl, you look great. Um, I don't, I don't need that anymore. Um, (laughs) (laughs) we need people that are really going to correct us and, and offer guidance. Um, but that also takes a lot of humility. Um, so I've got to let go of my ego and my pride and really start to kind of self-reflect and go, um, am I doing this for myself? Um, or am I doing this for the good of people and the good of place? Um, and sometimes those are, and I think that's where what happened in Augusta was, that was what I was confronted with Mm -hmm. is that, that self-actualization of what am I doing with my life? And is it, is it right? And sometimes I think there are seasons where things are right. And then there are seasons where things are, um, you're, you're going to be wrong and it's going to take another season for you to learn that because you were stubborn or, or whatever the reason was as as to why you kept going. But I would say one, have, have a deep bench of people that you trust. Um, and those people need to be people that will tell you when you're wrong. Um, and so I have, I have about four or five people that I know will call me out on things. Um, and just to be, and this is just my situation. They are all older than me. Um, they were, they are all in their fifties and sixties. Um, so I think there's something to that. I I look towards the wisdom of people that have lived longer than me and have lived before me in situations Mm -hmm. and circumstances that, 
I haven't learned the lessons of those yet. Um, I'm being taught those, but I haven't learned them yet. And I, I definitely don't understand them. Um, and so bringing in people that have that wisdom has been very helpful. But, you know, I, what I'm seeing in it right now is just, um, it, it can't just be lip service. I have to be willing to listen to correction. And that's really hard sometimes, especially when you feel very passionate about something. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's where um, if we can all grow in humility, not false humility, where it, it seems like we're, we're very genuine, but really we're not. Um, and I, I feel like that's kind of where social media can really hurt us. Um, but behind the scenes, really having a posture of, of wanting to be humble and, mm-hmm. and, and seeing humility take over our hearts and our minds to a place where we're looking to listen, not to defend, but we're actually lear- learning. We're wanting to listen so that we can learn. Um, mm-hmm. And those are two very different pathways that people take. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's hard because a lot of times when you feel passionate about something, um, you don't want to listen. You'll hear someone out, but you want to defend your position and your reason. Um, and really, I feel like a lot of times it's we need to learn to listen so that we can learn from others because they know they know more um, and their opinion matters. Um, and so it's it's again, it goes back to that that whole posture of humility is it's it's entering a conversation and it's entering a situation going um I'm not the smartest person in the room. (laughs) Um, I I don't know everything. Um, I may be intelligent, but what can I learn from someone else? And so um, I think that's how you you just have to kind of calm down and, and find the one thing that you are passionate about Um, and kind of seek that out and then be okay if it even changes or it evolves. I think that's another thing that people don't talk about is that, um, a lot of people jump ship pretty fast right now is what I'm seeing. Um, they want to jump with whatever's kind of trending or popular. Um, and so I I think that's where you kind of have to really do some, some service with yourself and try Mm -hmm. to figure out what do I care about? The people that Mm -hmm. have really made a legacy and made a dent in history stuck to one thing. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't go all over the place. Let's take Chick Fil A for example. They've stuck with chicken. They're <laughs> it's their pleasure to serve us that chicken, and I'm glad that is some good chicken. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if if they had said, I know it's silly, but I mean, if they had said, "Oh my gosh, we're getting beat out in the burger situation. We've got to make sure that we serve burgers," they would have failed. Exactly. Um, Failed in what they're really good at. And so I think to specialize in something is not a bad thing. It is extremely hard because, I mean, you are literally putting your head down and the wheels are always turning towards one thing. And that that can be very exhausting. Um, But but I think that's where you make dents in in certain things. And, And then if you bring people on that are just as passionate about you, you can go further. So, um, that that's where I find my my greatest weaknesses is not asking for help. Yeah, and I, I think that's always. I will acknowledge that I need help immediately. Um, mm-hmm. I will tell you when I'm drowning. A lot of times, it's I don't know how to ask for help, and I don't know what kind of help I need, um, and I don't know the questions to ask someone else if if they want to join. Um, and so, a lot of times, my own insecurities get in the way of me asking someone to partner with me. Um, and to be quite honest, sometimes it is just really easy to work by yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if I get mad at myself, I'm just mad at myself. But if someone else is mad at me and I still have work to do, it's just sometimes that's overwhelming to me. Um, and so I think, you know, when you're passionate about something, that's, that's the beauty of relationships is they're so messy and so dirty. Um, but I, I found that I am not my best when I'm by myself. I'm not, Yeah. I think I am because I'm getting a lot done, but when I exhaust myself, I'm miserable. I'm, yeah. I'm actually well, miserable. And it can go back to ego. I mean, not to speak for you, but for me, like 
I like the credit. Like I want it to be like, I did this by myself because then that makes me even more effective, you know, like whatever. But I think that's always been kind of a touchstone for me is like, when it comes to why am I doing something? It's like, am I willing to be humble and corrected? Because if I'm not, then chances are I'm doing this for me and not for Jesus and not for other people. It's because I want to appear to be a person who is like what a, a good person or woke or like what, whatever, whatever like word you want to use to be like conscientious. Um, it, and if I'm willing to say with humility, like, I don't know, then that's always my touchstone for myself. Like, okay, I'm actually like trying to learn versus trying to be liked or whatever. Um, yeah. Rick, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to make a Hamilton reference. <laughs> we're <laughs> trying to avoid it. I, my brain is totally there because I've watched it so many times this weekend, but I'm thinking about Aaron Burr's character and, Hamil- and Alexander Hamilton's character. You know, Alexander Hamilton, there are like two sides of the spectrum, right? So Alexander Hamilton was very passionate and he talked a lot and he just like, we're just going to get it done. And then, you know, the famous line from Aaron Burr is, you know, talk less, smile more. But the problem with that is, is that he stuck to that end of the spectrum and never picked a cause like he never no, nobody ever knew what he was fighting for right see all the lyrics are in my head um but but alexander hamilton on the other side he was so um adamant and so persistent and worked so hard for his cause but his zealousness is that a word um it um it drove him to obviously some issues. So like finding that balance right finding that balance in this work i think is listening and being quiet and patient and humble while at the same time being passionate, like finding, like if you don't keep your passion, then you're going to burn out. But if you're too passionate and you don't like, you're not humble and you don't ask for help and all of those things, then you're going to burn out too. And I think trying to find the balance of those two things is the work of all of this. Um, the work of justice, uh, along with narrowing, you know, knowing that you can't do everything, you know, um, just saying, I'm going to fight against racial injustice. Well, okay, that's great. And you should, and you should be learning and figuring out what systemic racism is and all of that stuff. But like, when you actually go to do something about it, once you've learned everything, you can't fight all systemic racism. Not one person can't fight all systemic racism. You have to find an area that you're going to, to like put your money where your mouth is. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think too, like, how do you define the word fight? Um, so I mean, that's like, you know, people want to be passionate and they want to be zealous about things, but sometimes a fight just starts with a conversation. Um, that can be how we're fighting things is, is through relationships. And, um, that's, that's not beautiful. That's not sexy. You're not going to post that online. Like it's not going to get you, um, the credit but it is going to move you towards some things that are fighting the injustice and you're, it's going to attack your own prejudice. It's going to attack your own yeah. understanding of certain things, but it's not going to be public. And so I think that's part of the balance too is, is balancing your approach to certain things and knowing that it's not going to be a lot of the public things that are going to really I think change a lot of things. It's going to be a lot of the private things. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I just, we, we really focus a lot on neighborhoods here and it's, I just, you know, I think about if everyone just went back to being a good neighbor, what yeah. could that do for an entire neighborhood, which is built up of people, which is just a place of relationships. How could that really start to transform a city? If everyone just really kind of thought differently about their own private life and where they live, work and play and learn, um, then certain things can really change, but we want to do it in the, in the, in the county court system. And we want to, and those things are coming and there, there are those people that need to fight that because that is the platform and that is their purpose. And that's what they've been called to. But for, for everyday people like us, it's just, what can I do today to really mm-hmm. fight the things that need to be fought for and the injustices that I see. And it may not be going to uh, the, the streets and holding signs. It may be just going to your neighbor and saying, 
hey, will you come over and have dinner with me? And can we have a conversation? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It just may be as simple as that. Um, And that, I think, helps you with um, the the long obedience of really trying to move towards change. Mm -hmm. Um, We go 100% every single day. We will burn out. And the problem with that is we're not putting in place, um, I think, the, the plans for the next season. So what's being sown right now? What is, what is the fruit that's going to come of that later? How are we, how are we planning for that? Um, and, and so I think emotionally, uh, people will burn out. Um, we see that have being repeated in history. Um, I think that's where I get frustrated with a lot of this is, um, it's not new. <laughs> Everything we're talking about is not new yet. It feels so brand new in so many ways. And you don't want that to lose steam. You really don't because some of the stuff that's, that's going on and the conversations that are being had are so important and vital. Um, yet it, how, how are we going to sustain that? How do we move yeah. towards, um, transformation? So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say have a deep bench of people, um, know your place, um, try to figure out what you are passionate about, um, and then invite people to be a part of that with you. So um, being accountable to yourself, but being accountable to other people, I think is really important. Um, yeah. I think it's hard nowadays with um, just media and we are aware of all of the issues where like maybe, I don't know if this is true, but I imagine that maybe like 50 years ago, you just saw what was right in front of you. But now it's yeah. like, there's all these platforms, you know, and <clears throat> we kind of feel, or at least I've been watching like some people I follow on Instagram. It's like every day they're posting about every issue, you know, yeah. and it, there's this pressure to be publicly like, yeah, I'm against this, 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 this. And, um, it's hard, I think, for me to know what to even get. Because I'm like, well, yeah, all those things are important. Like, I agree. But if I don't actively out loud say something against this thing or that thing, does that mean people think I'm complicit in it? And like, there just mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be a lot of value in what you're saying. Like the quiet conversations. Like I had a conversation with a friend um, who does not think of the racial injustice thing the way I do necessarily. And we were able to just have like a really honest offline conversation. And, you know, we both came to a place of understanding, but like, that was one conversation that I think was so much more effective than anything I've posted, you know, on the internet. And I just, it's hard, I think, in this day and age with social media, and like, you would say, I mean, if, if one person follows you, you have a platform, no matter who you are, we all have a public platform now. And that is not something that used to be. And that was something that was reserved for politicians and like clergy. And that was about it, you know, and then you got to be a regular person. And I don't think that we're, and maybe this is good. I don't know, but I don't think that we get to be regular people anymore (laughs) necessarily. I don't know. I'm curious to hear what y'all think about this because I think a lot of what's happened now with like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these things that have come to light are happening because we had, because George Floyd was on video and then people saw it and then it spread on video and that brought about some, you know, great things. And people are having conversations that you say we should, you know, like, like you said, we should have been having a long time ago, but they're happening now, which is great. But like, where do you, I don't know, like, where do you go from there? Because mm-hmm. one thing my friend said, she's like, you know, I'm processing all this and like, I'm not super far along in my thinking or whatever. But at the same time, I feel this pressure to get it right right now to say the right thing. If I don't say the right thing, I've got 50 people like, you know, and it's just, there's not a lot of grace. And I guess I don't know what I'm really asking, but I just feel for people who are trying to learn and grow, but it's like, we're almost forced to do it in public. Do y'all know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think social media is, has obviously a good and a bad side. There are really great things about social media. There's so much stuff that I have learned that I would not have known if it wasn't for social media. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. Um, But on the flip side of that, all the negatives (laughs) you talked about too, and I'm interested to hear what Jen thinks about about social media in the area of social justice. But like, there's a good good, bad side of the same coin. Um, And it's like figuring out how to balance that, I think. Yeah, and I think um, I've thought about this. Um, 
and I'm not one to jump on bandwagons. So I, I think that's, that's part of just my personality is I want to, I want to check out things yeah. and see how legit they are before I jump onto something. Um, because I've also seen the side effects of, of someone being a fanatic yet not exposing the stuff under the hood and you find mm-hmm. out it's actually pretty rotten. Um, mm-hmm. and so then what happens is, um, you know, people jump on something and then they find out the truth and then they jump off real fast and then they jump onto another thing. And so I just, I don't, I just don't, I can't keep up with that and I, do, I don't want to. So I do, I try to do a lot of due diligence with, with things that seem like great causes, but um, try to do my homework. And so I would say that's where social media, I think, can, can be dangerous is you don't mm-hmm. know the person or the entity or the organization true identity behind a screen. You don't, you know what they're posting and what they post is to receive affirmation and it's to receive, um, whatever they're posting, they're trying to get something out of you from it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Instagram started as just to be able to post something instantly. Um, and now it's curated to, to, to get some kind of return. And so I think you want to be very careful with who you follow and just saying, you know, what is the return they're trying to get out of me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if that's not something I believe in, then I shouldn't, I should not feed that to myself. Um, Because now it's, I'm self-selecting by who I follow, what I'm feeding myself. And that's either going to be good to my soul or bad to my soul. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I don't know how long that's going to take before it's those effects. uh, take place. Um, so I think that's one thing. And then I think, um, the second thing is it makes me sad that social media is needed to make change happen. Um, but that's really, I think where social media is a powerhouse right now. And I think Will Smith Mm -hmm. said it best is that racism, racism, racism isn't growing. It's just being filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the truth is it's just being filmed and, um, you just, you see all these, these horrible things being filmed yet when they're not filmed, these people were nice and had great jobs and were presented in a certain way as model citizens, yet they were kind of garbage people, but you didn't know it until they were pushed to a point. And this is really how they acted and responded. Um, and so I think that's kind of where um, I think it's a good thing, but it shouldn't be the only thing that should be pushing towards change. And so I think behind the scenes, that's where we kind of have to say is, um, how do we want to use this platform to present ourselves or or give our opinion? You're free to do that. Um, But is that really who you are? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's, that's what I think people are not asking of themselves is they're not doing the due diligence of their own heart and going, do I really believe in black lives matter? Do I really believe that? Um, cause if I did, why is my entire feed up until June completely white? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I really believed that black lives matter or however I define that, whatever your terminology, whatever your stance on the current situation um, instead of posting that you believe in that, maybe say something to the effect, if you have to process in that way, that you are trying to listen and learn, or for the first yeah. time you're paying attention, or for the first time you're starting to take this into consideration. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that's much more approachable and attractive um, than all of a sudden veering far right when you were on the left. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, however you feel about Colin Kaepernick, but I mean, it's like, he was a fanatic three years ago for taking yeah. a stance on a knee. He was considered, you know, anti-patriotic, all these different things. And now you fast forward and in hindsight, you look at what he was doing was peaceful. And now he's considered someone that's pioneering something, mm-hmm. um, because he believed in it and it was simple Mm -hmm. and that's just how he took a stance on it yet he had an entire country against him 
lost his yeah. job. <laughs> so, I mean, taking a stance for good things does not necessarily lead you towards a greater platform or even being liked. If mm-hmm. you're doing what you believe in, it ultimately may mean that you are, you know, pitchforks are coming at you and people unfollow you and um, they don't necessarily like you. And so, I mean, we live in a society now that um, people don't want to be around people that disagree with them. Yeah. You know, we all want to be with people that say the exact same thing as we do. Um, and so for me, that's, that's, I think, separating us even more is if I'm just surrounded by people that agree with me, and that's a very boring conversation. Um, I yeah. could just in front of a mirror and have that. Um, and so I need to be around people that are different than me, that have differences of opinion, um, that have a different mindset and a different worldview, um, not necessarily to change mine, but so that I can understand where they're coming from. Because mm-hmm. it may be important that things need to change in order to accept all people. Um, and so, if I mean, if we believe that all people are created in God's image, then why is only one certain population being considered? And yeah. so, for me, that's where the conversation has to change. And that's where um, we get involved with systemic things is because there are systems that are built um, that are designed for people, certain people groups with certain positions and platforms and finances to thrive. And then they are systemically set up for other people to fail. Um, and so, but there are lots of people that disagree with me <laughs> on yeah. that, on that statement and they will come at me and fight me and get angry about it. And it's kind of like, okay, you, you stay in your corner, you're going to be angry, you feel like that no one suffers, that no one is ever going to be hurt, that they can pull themselves up, that they can do all this kind of stuff. Uh, we have research, we have numbers, and we have the relationship to prove that that's not correct, and what you're saying is actually wrong. Um, but I can't change you. I can't. Yeah. Like, until, you're, until you are ready to acknowledge that maybe something is different, and that maybe you are not the smartest person and you don't know what you're talking about, um, until you're ready to take that position and posture, I'm just doing lip service. Um, well, that's what I was going to ask y'all is like, you know, I think there's a lot of people who probably disagree. I think the three of us are kind of on the same page, but there's a whole group of people who disagree. Um, kind of like what you're saying, like they don't think this stuff is real or, they think that, you know, um, I mean, to be frank, like MAGA, okay, like MAGA people, right? No offense if you're a MAGA person. I'm just, if you are, you probably don't listen to this podcast, but <laughs> I'm just asking, I guess like we say that and we're like, yeah, I don't want to be around people who agree with me all the time. But what about when you're around people who you're like, I really don't think you're right. Like, I really think, and I'm not sure I can, not that like I can't learn from you, but like, I just, I don't know. What, what do we do with that? Because sometimes those people are in our family and sometimes those people are dear to us and it's really hard. So like, how do you approach that when, when you say like, I just really think you're legitimately wrong and I don't think I can learn from you? Um, I, I deal with this a lot. Um, and so um, I think you find the things that you do agree on um, especially when the differences are detrimental to um, progression in certain areas that need to progress and, and can progress. Um, and so a good example, um, you know, if, if I'm working on a project about education, but I'm working with someone who is extremely liberal and extremely Republican <laughs> and I mean, hardcore Republican and will tell you, all the reasons that the Democrat is stupid and dumb and then vice versa. It's kind of like, does that even matter when we're focusing on this? Um, So can we just agree to disagree on that particular topic, but we agree on this topic. So let's move forward in this area. And what I've seen is when you start to do that, they start to build a relationship and now they can have a conversation that is a little bit deeper and you start to find out why they believe what they believe. And so, but if we started with trying to 
see who's right, who's greater, who's less, we're never going to get anywhere. And so for us, we try to find the medium. What do we all care about and how can we work on that? Um, We may not have common faith. We may not have common political opinions and views, but we may have a common understanding of one specific thing. So that may be the only thing we can work on right now. Um, And for some people, that is true. That's the only thing that they can agree on. Um, I know specifically with my family, um, I have vastly different views on many, many things. Um, And to keep the peace in our family, we just agree not to talk about it Um, because it it really does harm us. Um, And, you know, it just, it, I, I can't change the way that my family views certain things. And on the flip side, they feel what I feel, but in opposite. So they mm-hmm. want to change me because they think that they are right. And so they feel yeah. like I'm the dumb one. Like, why does she believe that? That is so stupid. Um, and so at the, at the root of it, we have the same value that we believe we're right. Yet it's just a difference of opinion on what that definition is. And so um, in order to be in a relationship with someone, I just have to acknowledge and respect that I, I like this person. I know who they are. I just disagree with a few things and I'm just not going to touch that right now. Yeah. We were, when we did our political series and we talked to pantsuit politics, that was what Sarah was talking about from pantsuit politics. She was talking about um, looking at values instead of, so we can, we can all agree on a certain set of values. Like, you know, even if you're on two sides of the political spectrum, let's take education or let's take poverty for instance, or whatever, like, I think that both sides, at least the, the the logical, rational people on both sides can come to an agreement on a value. They just are going to, can't come into agreement about how to deal with that value. Does that make sense? Or how to like plan around it or the s- systems that sur- should surround that. But like we can all start from a value, especially if we're in a faith-based setting. We can start with the, I mean, I don't know anybody in the faith, and if they are, then they need to question their faith. I don't think there's anybody that disagrees that all people were made in the image of God, right? Like if you're a Christian, you believe that. And so, but like how that plays out for you looks different. And so I think that's really great to start with like the value. Like, and if you can't come to an agreement on the value, then I agree with you, Jen, that like, maybe we should just have this conversation. Like, but if it, like starting at a value base, I think is a really good place to start. And I think too, like, even it's okay to say that we can't work together. Um, I've yeah. even had mm-hmm. a situation where it was kind of, I just think for, for the sake of our relationship, we just don't need to work together. Yeah. And over the years, what's happened is through that is, I think we've both been able to acknowledge that we were wrong in some way, some shape or form. And we were able to have that conversation. We couldn't have it at the time that we were in an argument about something. But later on, as we mature, as we have time on our side, as the relationship is strengthened and deepened, then you can have those hard conversations because there's trust there. A lot of people are trying to have hardcore conversations and they don't trust each other. So they're never going to get anywhere. Or there's not a relationship at all. You know, it's just Jim Bobby went to high school with and you're commenting on Facebook status. It's like, it's, it's completely, yeah, it's a big mess. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think, I think that social media stuff, you you have to learn when to disengage, right? And also Mm -hmm. when to take things offline. Like I, you know, posted something, I, I tend to, to go towards the fanatic level and I have to really check myself and when I post because I post in anger sometimes and so I've had to that's a that's a work that I've had to do in myself is like I really want to post about this but why don't I sleep on it and then the next day if I still want to post about it let's post about it so I have a problem with posting in the moment especially when it's late at night and so (laughs) so um but I posted something um that I ended up retracting um because it wasn't helpful and but a, a friend of mine who she lives in Alabama now so we're not in relationship like 
proximity wise, but we know each other really well. And she disagreed with me and we kind of went back and forth in the comment feed. And then I decided, you know, well, we need to take this offline because I know her, I know her heart and I know that she doesn't not love people. She just is coming at it from a different viewpoint than me. And, but because I know her, I know what her values are and we have very similar values, but we need to take this conversation offline. And we did, and we had a great conversation offline. Um, and you know, I, we don't agree. But we see each other, see things from each other's perspective. I think sometimes we have to take that, like that stance of like where I know this person, and if I don't know that person, they're attacking me. Then we just need to disengage. But like if I know the person, I know their values, and I know that we line up in a lot of areas. Like we just need to take this online and have this conversation. Um, But that you know takes some humility, which is hard. And I think you bring up a great point. I mean, I think taking some something offline also requires follow up questions. Instead yes. of just assuming that you know why they did something, yes. mm-hmm. you ask them why they did it. Or why do, why yeah. do you disagree? Like, I'm just yeah. curious. I just want to know. And then now you know why they disagree. Um, and it may yeah. be something completely different than what you assumed from the beginning. Um, yes. that, that's what we find, like, especially in community, it's like people make so many assumptions with like 1% of the information they need in order to make that assumption. And so... Yeah. They just, we've, we've got to ask more questions. We've got to, you know, really kind of want, want to know more than, yeah. than just enough to make us mad or make us happy. It's got to be a little bit deeper than just the emotional, um, you know, microwaved effect of, yes, I believe in this or ugh, unfollow. Um, you know, that can't be just our stance on everything, but that's kind of how it's playing out is everything's so reactive. Um, Mm -hmm. either, we either love it or we hate it and there's no in between. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (gasps) Jenna's the best dog. And she just came on your thing. Oh my gosh. Presley. Oh, she has headphones in, don't you? She can't hear me. Oh, precious. Oh, oh, baby. I'm sorry. I just got really distracted. She has like the best dog ever. Um, okay. So <laughs> to kind of start wrapping up, I want to talk about how you specifically, and you're not speaking for everybody, but I just want to know, because you are somebody who lives this stuff out, who's thoughtful, like how do you keep it in its proper place? I guess this work of justice or, you know, kind of like the long-term vision, like how do you do that on like a Tuesday? Like what, it, what does that look like for you to have balance in your life and to really commit to this long-term? Hmm. Um, so I, I wrestle with this because it, it's some level, what I do is an expression of who I am. So mm-hmm. I never feel like I can clock out. Yet mm-hmm. in order to do this long-term, I know I have to find ways to disengage in order to rest and refuel. Um, and so I read a book a couple of years ago called Sacred Pathways that um, really helped me understand how do I rest. Mm-hmm. So that, that was really important for me is to, to start to understand um, what does rest look like for me and what do I need to do so that I'm, I'm ready to go. And I'm, I'm, I'm fully prepared and, and, um, I'm engaged in a way that I want to be. And so for me, um, you know, it means I, uh, for me personally, I do a lot of planning. Um, so I end the day writing down everything that I needed to get done, but didn't. And I put it in a book and, you know, kind of, check it off for that day. And it's, and it's done. So next day I come in, I know what I've got to get done. Um, so that's a very practical thing that I do. Um, but after reading that book, I know two things that really help me rest and refuel. Um, one is nature. Uh, so um, I've really invested in um, my back porch. <laughs> um, and so I just really, that's kind of how I end my day is I just go outside and I sit and it's just, it's very refueling for me. Um, I need to be outside. Um, that's least. the construction we're doing right now is building a new back porch. So that, that's really exciting. Uh, to me. <laughs> I have that, especially because, um, you know, especially with, with COVID and working at home, 
you know, my haven and my place that's home has become more work than ever before. Um, you know, I, I have interns that come and work at my house during the week. So it's pretty crazy during the day. So in order to rest, I really do have to check out. And for me to check out is to go and sit on my back porch and just do things that I enjoy. So I've mm-hmm. had to find things that I enjoy and it's reading, it's just listening to a podcast. And to be quite frank, it's watching Real Housewives and anything that makes me laugh. Um, so <laughs> my job is very heavy emotionally right now. And so it's, it's sometimes it's very draining and hard. Um, so I'm very careful with what I'm listening to and watching and I don't watch anything that makes me sad or depressed. Um, I really can't. So, I mean, I can't watch This Is Us or anything that's just going to tug. Um, I have to literally watch or listen to things that make me laugh. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of that. Um, and then uh, I've also kind of put a hard stop um, that I don't work on Saturday and Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. so Good for you. For me, that's, that's, that's difficult because there's still yeah. plenty of work to do. Um, but I've kind of committed Monday through Friday, I'm going to work as hard as I can, um, and complete what I can. But if I can't, then I've got to, you know, put it off until Monday. Um, if, if it absolutely can wait. Um, and so I think it's being, you know, very dedicated to that and, and self-disciplined, um, is often hard because I don't have anybody, I don't have a husband that's like, Jen, stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, um, I also have found that for me to refuel, I need to be around people. And that's been very difficult during COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, part of that is just recognizing that sometimes you don't even get seasons that you wish where you could refuel the way you want to. So you have to find new ways. Um, So so right now I'm, I'm discovering new things that I like to do. Um, and trying to figure out those different things as a substitute for right now, because I just can't really be with, with friends and, and do fun things. But, um, for me, for me, just, you know, practically, I would say find what helps you rest. Um, I, I grew up in a house where, um, Sunday you didn't do anything and that actually doesn't help me rest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a napper. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really do anything like that. You do. <laughs> um, I, I have found that I really rest doing yard work. I don't yeah. know. It's like it's hot, it's sweaty, it's hard work, but it's something I get to do with my hands. I truly enjoy it. I'm not having to think a lot. Um, it doesn't, it just is a different type of work for me that provides rest. Um, whereas before my job before COVID sometimes would provide, really, really get me energized and going, um, has now switched because of some of the mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so I think, I think it's, it's recognizing, you know, what rest, what refuels you. And then also knowing that sometimes you're going to have seasons where you're not going to be able to rest. And so how do you, how do you plan out of that? How do you kind of proactively look towards different things? Um, and, and I see a lot of that with winter. That's kind of, I just, I hate winter. Um, it's sad. It's depressing. It's, it's ugly. <laughs> Everything's dormant or dead. Um, and so, um, but it's a season. I know that it's going to end. And so that kind of gives me hope. Uh, it's a very weary season. It, it really mm-hmm. is. And we can see that, I think. Everyone's kind of just saying, I'm over it. I, I've said it multiple times, and you're just, I'm over COVID. Well, COVID's not over us, so we don't get to yeah. decide, um, <laughs> unfortunately. And so I just, I think that's where you kind of have to be just prepared for the long game, and it's difficult. So, I mean, I'm even learning new stuff about things that um, are causing unrest with me and, and why, and, um, but there are things that refuel me. So being dedicated to doing those, um, but, but still recognizing that this isn't an unusual situation. Yeah. It's okay that I don't have answers either. Um, and it's okay that sometimes my normal things that do work for me are not working right now. Um, and, and I, I just don't know, I don't have answers. And so, um, my, my favorite verse is, during seasons like this is, is Hebrews 4, 16. And it says, approach the throne um, 
with confidence to receive grace and mercy. And, but before that, it, it just talks about how Christ is, um, he, he knows what it's like to be fu- fully human, but without sin. And so I've been thinking a lot about that is, um, acknowledging that there is a throne of grace and mercy yet I'm still so weary. <laughs> I'm really, really weary. And it's, it's really hard. Everything seems really sad and depressing. Um, and so I, you know, my posture has kind of taken a, a different turn and just really acknowledging my weariness and not trying to work my way out of that, but learn in the midst of that. Um, because I think we do need to be weary over some, some stuff that's happening. And so we should feel the effects of that. Um, we should feel the effects of the injustice that's happening. Um, and so, you know, there are things that I can control and then there are things that I can't. So I'm trying to manage the things that I can't right now. Um, Mm -hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. It's great. I'm sure. Well, this has been good. I think we should do another episode about uh, coping during COVID. <laughs> Maybe for our Patreon community. Um, but yeah, uh, Jen, we're going to link all of your information on the show notes for Impact 46. And um, yeah, this has been really good. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Love being All on. right. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye. <laughs>